sports teams warm up, actors warm up before they start a show, musicians warm up together so that when you're on, you've like worked out the kinks in the system and you've smoothed it out, the muscles are ready, you're ready to go. And so I see teams, especially now where teams are working remotely and that's great, you know, but first come together for the first time in front of something and they don't even take the time to warm up together physically or vocally or mentally. There are all these improv games that we play to warm up together so that we have chemistry on the stage where we're ready to go. Hi, everyone. I'm Celeste Headley, and welcome to Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. Today, we're talking with Nicole Cohen, a business leader and the best-selling author of Improv at Work, What the Business World Can Learn from Improvisational Comedy. Nicole will guide us through the transformative power of improvisation, including techniques we can implement to foster more collaborative and innovative workplaces. So let's get started. We are here with Nicole Cohen, who is a managing director at a global consulting company and author of the book, Improv at Work, What the Business World Can Learn from Improvisational Comedy. And I kind of feel like I have to start with what is probably the elephant in the room for many people, which is that there are, I'm sure, two kinds of people, right? There's those who find improv to be fun, and there's a whole other group that if you say improv, they come out in hives. How do you get the people who are made nervous by improv, the people who feel dread at the idea that they're going to have to come up with something clever to engage in improv exercises with an open mind? I love that opening. That is fantastic. Thank you for asking. Yes, that is true. There are those who would be very nervous and perhaps have stomach issues at the thoughts of having to do something on stage in front of people without a script, with the expectation to be funny as an improvisational comedian would have all of that on his or her shoulders. However, this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to bring improv into the workplace to serve a very important purpose. And here's what that purpose is. The purpose is to provide to the workplace what the training for improv does for improv. And that is really the training for people to become much more human, collaborative, and creative. So if you view it that way, why are we doing improv? We're not doing it so that people feel uncomfortable, have stomach issues, and are frightened away. We're doing it for this reason. You take a step back and you say, what's going on in the workplace? The workplace is a busy place right now. There's a lot going on in terms of uh, days are packed or completely overscheduled with lots of, lots of different meetings. We're expected to bring in all kinds of technologies and disciplines and functions and inspiration in order to be creative. We're doing that under a time crunch. We're all trying to accelerate to the business outcomes. And so what we're not doing as much of is really working on how we show up for each other and how we bring the best out of each other as well as ourselves. And so If you're having some of those experiences or feeling that pressure in the workplace, 
this is an opportunity to bring this way of thinking, this approach to bringing in improv is an opportunity to play with some of the rules and games that improv performers have been using for years and bring it in to serve a purpose, which is for the workplace to be much more comfortable, for us to build confidence in the moments where we are expected to be inspiring and creative, but we all do it together and we all do it with these exercises where in no way is anyone forced to be on a stage or folks to be expected to do scene work or things. It's really to bring the rules of improv into the workplace to serve the workplace. What's the difference in goals then? I mean, you've sort of started this distinction between the improv that's meant to entertain and improv that's meant to build on your skills in the workplace. But is there a difference in the goals themselves? If I'm in a workshop, am I developing different skills in one of your workshops than I would in a workshop on improv that I took at a theater? Well, it has to do with what's in focus. What's in focus for bringing improv into the workplace is to help the workplace business professionals really approach each other differently. It's better with examples. So for example, if there's an improv rule around, I call it open up your mind, be open to ideas. It's an improv. It's also the yes and rule. We play with the yes and rule on stage and we're building ideas. We're building scenes where we're starting a scene. Probably have heard some of these examples where a scene might start and you have two actors on a stage and one actor turns to the other one. And an improv for those who don't know is theater without a script. So you're up there and you're creating from nothing, you know, maybe a relationship or maybe a location. And in the scene on a stage, the yes and rule is used to build upon the scene and for the scene to grow and develop and, you know, create a purpose and maybe arc up somewhere and achieve some goal. So for those who may have never done any improv work, yes and is one of the most common and basic exercises that one does in improvisation. Can you quickly explain what the yes and exercise is? Absolutely. So the yes and exercise is where one person says something or makes a suggestion and the other person, instead of negating it and and therefore perhaps stifling or constraining the conversation, builds upon it. So on a scene, it might be one person says, hey, grandpa, it's great to be here today. The yes and, it can start with yes and, or it's simply a building. You're accepting what the person presented yeah, sign your grandpa and we're going to, you know, hang on today versus saying not your grandpa. And then the scene is stifled. And this happens in the workplace also where ideas are presented. And maybe some of you all have heard something, but when you present an idea, you've heard back something like, no, that's not going to work here, right? No, that's not it. You missed the boat. No, we're not going down that path. Instead of a yes and mentality, which just gives that idea, that little baby idea, which I call an idealit. It gives the idealit just a little bit of a chance, right? A little bit of some oxygen in the room to see where it could go. So what I talk to people in improv workshops is it's not about building a scene. It's about sort of flexing the muscle that allows us in the workplace to just let an idea, you get a little bit more information about the idea, let the idea come out. And it changes the rooms. It's not just the idea. When ideas shut down, yes, that idea doesn't go anywhere anymore, but it also stifles the room. When the room sees that ideas really aren't all welcome here, 
And so that's how we talk about it in the workplace, right? So that people feel and people are building an environment where creativity is, you know, not just accepted, but it's appreciated and valued. It's almost like moving from either the no mentality or the yes, but mentality to at least thinking yes and being additive instead of resisting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm challenged on this sometimes, Celeste. Like I'm asked, you know, can't say yes and to everything, you know, and I, I've accepted the challenge, you know, and I've said, okay, give me an example. And in one workshop, somebody said to me, well, what if somebody says to you as a leader in an organization, you know, I want $50,000 to throw a party for my team because we were able to submit something yesterday. Are you just going to say yes? And here's the $50,000. <laughs> and I said, I try to find the yes in that request. You know, do you want to celebrate the team? Yes. I love that you're thinking about our team and you want to celebrate something that happened yesterday. Let's think of a few other options to be able to celebrate the team that they'd appreciate and they could get some excitement out of and everybody would feel valued and everything. So I can't say yes to 50000 if that doesn't make sense for your business, for your pocketbook, whatever it is. But can I find a yes to why the person came to me in the first place and really the heart of the idea? And that's what I'm trying to do. And it changes the room. It just changes the mentality of your team and the group of people around you. Can you give me another example of an improv exercise which can do a similar thing? In other words, give people a new perspective, a sort of an aha moment when it comes to seeing their work through new eyes. Yes. One of my favorite games, and I do this with my children, my poor children, <laughs> for having to grow up with improv games. I think a critical rule, a critical rule that we don't always put front and center is to be curious, is to be curious. And on stage, you're curious and it can unstick you out of some, out of some spots. So for example, you might be in a scene and you don't know where it's going. And the best thing you can do is ask a question because it not only opens up what's going on in the scene. It helps the other person kind of direct some focus and get creative and not just open that, you know, sort of staring at each other in silence, but you've thrown out an idea in the form of a question and it, it allows the other person to shine and bring their ideas in. In the workplace, when we are not curious, we risk not having all the information to make a decision, to take an action. And we also risk not hearing voices and opinions and perspectives from the people around us. So I play this game with folks and it's more to remind them to ask questions. It's okay. Just because you're asked a question actually does not mean you're qualified or informed enough to answer it. And that is okay. So the game we play is called the questions game. And I do a lot of work in pairs, back to your point about people being nervous about improv. What I do in workshops is not meant to turn people into actors and make people super uncomfortable. <laughs> That's not necessary. So it's done in pairs. It's really comfortable. People do it. They only have the other person in front of them to think about. So in a pair, you go back and I give them people a relationship or a location and they go back and forth and you can only ask questions. You can't answer. And if you answer... Nothing happens, by the way, no penalty, no, but you're like, oh, well, yeah, you didn't do it. And then you kind of start back over again. And it does not mean in a real life, you should never answer a question or those around you will be very confused for one thing and perhaps frustrated, yeah. but it's meant to remind you that just because somebody says, should I take this medicine or that medicine? 
instead of saying, well, I think that medicine, if you're not qualified, (laughs) maybe you say, well, did you see a doctor or what hurts? Or should I see a doctor? What kind of doctor should I see? Have you been to one lately? Well, have you like, it just forces you to just remember it may be worth asking another question, getting a little bit more information, you know, respecting the fact that you're with somebody else who's probably smart and capable. And maybe you need to hear a little bit more from them before you jump on it. And look, I've been in consulting for over 20 years. I'm very used to answering quite like I'm here and you probably want me to answer. But the best thing you can do in the workplace is to is to get as much information as possible. So everyone's making, you know, informed decisions. You're listening to a conversation with Nicole Cohen, the best-selling author of Improv at Work, What the Business World Can Learn from Improvisational Comedy. If you need more ideas and inspiration, head on over to conferencesforwomen.org slash subscribe. Our monthly newsletters are filled with tips, practical insights, and plenty of ideas that can help you succeed at work and in your personal life as well. That's conferencesforwomen.org slash subscribe. And now let's get back to our conversation. Are there particular positions within a workplace that get more out of improv versus others? And I say this knowing full well that when I do workshops, it's incredibly rare to see people from the C-suite take part. I rarely see the CEO or senior vice presidents in there doing these exercises that might make them look a little silly. I love doing these workshops with leadership teams. It's very human. Like I said, the point of improv at work is to bring the rules of improv to the workplace, to serve the workplace. Like it's intended to help people feel more comfortable and confident, not like with the improv game itself, but with the rule. So you remember, everybody remembers to be curious. You remember to open your mind to possibilities and explore through yes and. You know, another rule is about not being in the back of your head, being more present with the other person so that you're truly helping the other person shine. And leaders react really well to this because it's not a let's be silly together and pretend we're going to be actors at the end of the day. It's really, how do you bring these rules that help actors be successful on stage because they have to interact with each other and create in the moment all the time with eyes on them? How do we use the same rules and those activities to make us better? And leaders have a great time. Like nobody's on the spot in my workshops. Like I said, it's very comfortable. There are the few that want to do it in front of the room and I'm all for that too, but it's always asked of people because the intention is not to embarrass people. The intention is to remember these rules the next day when you're in that meeting and you're brainstorming that you remember not to shut people down so quickly. And it's really important at all levels hear this information. What is the risk though in doing improvisation, especially when you have a team that's larger or in which somebody who's thinking very quickly might say something that's inappropriate, might say something that is offensive. I'm glad you're asking this. I was once asked by somebody, improv in the workplace, that's not right. We can't fly by the seat of our pants. Like we can't just do that. And I say like bringing improv in the workplace does not mean that you're changing the content. People are, should be very prepared in their jobs with the industry experience or the functional experience or the macro trends, 
wherever they're working in whatever part of the world. It doesn't make up for that. The point of improv is just how we treat each other and talk to each other and, well, quite frankly, let each other speak and open the room for different ideas that might come out that maybe are, that sound at first like ones that are not going to work in their environment, but letting people have a chance to really explore and bring the best versions out of themselves. It's how we treat each other with respect, how we open up the room to discussions, how we remain present for each other. We warm up together. We treat each other like a team. It's all of those elements, those behaviors that are coming through the improv rules, because that's what's expected when you're on stage and you're exploring a scene with your scene partner and trying to make the magic happen. And what's funny is that we go through, you know, I was in an improv group and we rehearsed a ton and people would say, you rehearsed for improv. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And like, well, we didn't rehearse a script. Like we weren't trying to rehearse lines and remember lines and things. We were rehearsing how we treat each other, how we show up for each other and, and all those things we were just talking about. And what's funny is I did that in an improv group where we performed at bars in front of drunk people, right? <laughs> In the workplace, like the stakes are higher and completely different. You are showing up as a team to create businesses, to execute business strategies, to be successful in the market, to have a great meeting as a team because you're trying to hit a milestone to do X, Y, and Z with your bit. There's so much more on the line and yet we don't, we don't focus on those skills that will make us better with each other. And the one thing I want to also say is like, in terms of the risk, the risk of not doing it is that you bring people together in the room and the room is proud of itself, right? Because you brought in all these different people with different backgrounds and you have diversity in the room of thought and of functional expertise and technical expertise. We're so excited we brought the people in the room. People in the room do not know how to work together effectively, successfully comfortably, confidently. So yes, we brought them together, but that's not success, right? I mean, success is that the people in the room feel good about being in the room and that they can speak up and that they're heard and that people aren't shutting down ideas because they're unfamiliar. So that risk, the risk of not just being what we're all capable of being is so great. And the rules of improv are really intended to like pull from a completely different world, <laughs> a different world, those trainings to allow the workplace to shine and feel better and for people just to feel better about bringing themselves to the table. You know, it's so common in this day and age for people to be overworked. It's we're in a very tight job market for a very long time. Businesses were laying people off and then not replacing them. And so people ended up sometimes taking on the work of those who left the company and that never stopped being true. <laughs> so they're now what people call super jobs. And I just wonder what you say to people who say, you know, this isn't going to make me more productive. I don't even have time for this. Like, how do I make room for this in my schedule that's already too packed? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. The world is, the workplace in particular, is experiencing a lot of pressures. People are overworked. They are absolutely doing that. And they're leaning on things to help connect them faster, right? They're sending an answer over a text. They're you know, not taking commuting time. They're going to take it on a phone call from their car while they're moving X, Y, and Z. And the challenge is all of that takes away some of the humanity of the workplace. We're just not 
seeing each other as much. So we're not practicing as much being together and our own interpersonal skills. And what starts to crack is that this foundation that we had, or some of us had if we've been in the workplace longer, which is this like reliance on us just being people, people, you know, the small talk by the water cooler, if anybody still does that anymore. So all of that's going away and it leaves us like dry from all of that. And so then you feel more overworked and pressured and stressed. And I would say, do this for yourself in a way that works for you. So I wrote a book so people could take a look at it, explore themselves. You could take an improv class in your own time. You can combine it with a team activity, like go with your team to an improv class, just practice one of the games online together to enjoy each other, to remember that we're human first and we have to fuel that part of ourselves in the workplace. You're worth it. People deserve it. And it's intended to make, honestly, from my perspective, the workplace a better one for you. But yeah, you have to like make the time work within your schedule. It should not be burdensome. It should be something where it works for you and your team. You can practice it with your family. But like I said, it's, these rules are intended to help folks feel better in the workplace. Do you remember what exercise or maybe a couple exercises you did that sort of opened your eyes to the fact that this is what you loved? Like, were there a particular exercise or two that made you say, oh my gosh, I see this, this is powerful? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to say the yes and is, but since we already explored that, I'm gonna bring up another one, which is warming up. It never ceases to amaze me, yet it's all the time that in the workplace, we do not warm up as a team before we do something together as a team. When I say as a team, I mean like, if you're going into a big brainstorm together, or you're going into a big pitch meeting, if you work in an area where you're pitching an idea to your other teammates or a boss or a client or customer, back to your point about time, we don't take the time to warm up because we don't have time. That's what we think or we say. And we just march right into whatever we're doing and expect like the magic to happen. Expect that we're gonna come across as a cohesive team. Expect that we don't walk and talk all over each other. (laughs) Expect that the quote unquote audience, so your teammates, your boss, your whatever it is, will pick up, wow, this team is a high functioning team. And we just hope that's true, even though we skipped this really important step that most other places in the world would warm up. You know, sports teams warm up, actors warm up before they start a show, musicians warm up together so that when you're on, you've like worked out the kinks in the system. And you've smoothed it out, the muscles are ready, you're ready to go. And so I see teams, especially now where teams are working remotely, and that's great, you know, but first come together for the first time in front of something, and they don't even take the time to warm up together physically or vocally or mentally. There are all these improv games that we play to warm up together so that we have chemistry on the stage where we're ready to go. And back to my point about we would warm up before performing at a bar. But with, you know, in the workplace, when there's so much more on the line, we don't. And it's amazing. And I talk to teams about that. And it's kind of like your question, well, we're so busy, we don't have to, my gosh, you know, it's a really important element and it'll feel different. It'll feel different. If you've done that, you've spent a little bit of time together, warming up, letting your guard down, shaking out the, your shoulders to get whatever, like there's a series of like, Make your own warm-up game. But oh my gosh, it just amazes me that we just skip that because we don't have time. It takes planning. You know, it definitely takes planning, Celeste, but it is definitely an aha moment when teams get, you just feel better. 
you feel better in the meeting and then you perform better. You trust each other. Do you have to be funny to be good at improv? Because the majority of people, regardless of what they think, the majority of people aren't (laughs) funny. Oh my gosh. No, you don't have to be funny. You don't have to be funny. You may think you're funny. I love the improv rules. Like it's about extracting the essence of the rule why you warm up, why you should be curious, why you should open your mind to ideas and practicing those games that we play in improv, but practicing them for the purpose of like shaping new behaviors when you're interacting with people in the workplace. So do not have to be funny. The workshops are because people, you know, they have fun with it and they don't know what's going to come out of their mouth and it's fine. It's great. It's a safe space. You kind of set that up up front, but No, no pressure to be funny here. No pressure to be funny. Just have fun. That's the pressure. So what would you suggest for people who are interested in giving this a try, who perhaps are not the one that make decisions about what workshops do or do not occur within their workplace? Look, I think it's great to have a conversation with those around you. So if you're not the lead, you could talk to your colleagues and your boss or your bosses or however you're structured and say, hey, I heard this thing about improv at work and the fact that the rules of improv are applicable in the workplace because in both worlds, people are trying to bring out the best of themselves and other people. They're trying to collaborate effectively and with open minds and open hearts and create something, right? Improv, it's a scene in the workplace. It's a you're ideating on a new idea for a product or or how we want to work, but you're creating something new that benefits the workplace. I think there's something here. And so what do you think about exploring that on our team? You know, we could go somewhere together and take an improv class. You can pick up my book and pull out some activities. I'm not trying to push just me. I'm really pushing it as a movement that people explore for the purpose of, of just having a better time in the workplace aligned to business objectives as well. So you just start to open up the conversation. If I can help, I would love to help. If it's not me and there's something in your area where some opportunity for you to go to an improv place and take a class or see if somebody will will come to your location, it's just explore it. And if you want to talk about it with me, nothing gives me greater passion. Like I really view it as a whole part of my legacy, which is we spend so much time at work and we can own having a better time there and treating each other better. And through this treating each other better and all of these rules have great success, you know, in our careers and with our businesses. It starts with having the conversation. If I were to add an and, it might be, what's the best advice I've received in my career? And I would say, you know, there's lots of advice and we'd have to have a whole podcast on advice. I'd love it. I would highlight one critical piece of advice slash feedback I received very early on in my career. So I hope this helps those who are at any stage in their career, which is that it's okay to bring all of yourself to work, to really be yourself. As long as you're a good person. I'm assuming people listening are good people. (laughs) You're good people. And I say that because of this. When I started, I come from a background. I was a biomedical engineering. I studied biomedical engineering as my major. I studied theater. I did improv comedy. When I came into the workplace, I was very serious and I thought that's what I was supposed to be. And I got sort of this advice from my supervisor who had heard from someone else, like, Nicole is really serious, like really serious. (laughs) And he said to me, 
like it's fine, but it's okay to be you. And I, you know, I bring humor. Not everybody has to, but I bring humor. I bring personality. I'm myself wherever I go, I hope. And his point was like, you can be, you can be you. It's okay. And I say that because it would change me. It would change how I show up at work. And one of the most important things it did was allow me to bring this improv in, which was a part of me, but it made me think, wow, I can be the kind of business person, leader that I'm destined to be. Not that that person is or that or a robot or, you know, it's really who who I'm supposed to be in the workplace. And it changed the way I interact with people. It changed how I listen to people and their ideas. I try to be more open than not, even when time is of the essence. And it allowed me to bring this part of myself out into the open around helping others explore these improv rules who perhaps were not in an improv comedy group, haven't been in theater classes, you know, their whole lives, like allowing them to explore it, not to be an actor, but to use them to be better and to have better experiences in the workplace. Be you. Nicole Cohen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Celeste. This was so much fun. This was so much fun. And I, I really do hope those listening will, will just explore it. We'll just take a look. We really hope you enjoyed this episode with best-selling author Nicole Cohen. To learn more about how to integrate the rules of improv into your leadership toolkit or to purchase a copy of Nicole's book, visit the Conference for Women bookstore. It's www.conferencesforwomen.org. The Conferences for Women is the largest network of women's conferences in the nation. They draw more than 55,000 women and men to annual events in Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, and California. I'm Celeste Headley. This is Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind and be well.